Reading from John chapter 1, verses 15 to 18. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me. For he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. Father in heaven, we do thank you for your word as already prayed and sung and uh, taught to us yet this morning. We praise you for this opportunity to look into this portion of it. May we behold the glory of the Son that you so graciously sent to die for us. What we did not deserve, he accomplished on our behalf. Do guide me in your truth that I would not deviate from it into the wisdom of men, but stick, stick close to the guiding of your Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. It was a couple of conversations in work, uh, really last couple weeks, but especially this week, that drew my attention to uh, the twofold topic I want to cover. Obviously, from this text, there's two words there, grace and truth. It'll be a simple two-part sermon. And so it was some conversations in work, uh, partly uh, from uh, members calling for service to their medical needs and then also a uh, sort of job application I was completing for a different role they're interviewing for. So it was uh, both a question asked to me to help somebody and a question asked to me to kind of tell my superiors how I would address some situations that drew me to this idea of how we are different. How is it that the ministry of Samaritan Ministries is different? How is it that we as Christians are different? How am I as a you know, person crafted by God's providence different? How is this church, Dominion Covenant Church in Omaha, Nebraska different? And uh, at different times in my life, I've addressed those uh, questions posed slightly differently and to different people asking. But really what came to me with a bit more clarity this week is that in some ways, they all have the same answer. It's easy to remember right, an answer to 20 questions if there's only one answer. And so I wanna suggest to you that the answer to that variety of questions, what is it that makes you different as a Christian? What is it that makes this congregation different as a worshiping body of Christ? What is it that makes the Christian religion different among all the varieties out there is grace and truth. So takeaway point, put that on an index card in your back pocket. Next time you have a conversation with somebody and they're searching for God perhaps, or you're wanting to confront some uh, idolatry in their life lovingly, What's the answer to their question? Grace and truth, which as the text here says, came through Jesus Christ. So in our brief time together, I do want to encourage and challenge us with the fact that grace and truth is the focus of true biblical religion. It's the focus of what makes us unique in this world, fulfilling the mission that uh, was preached on, was that just last week? Seems like longer, but enduring truths last. So what are the implications for us in our lives for grace and truth? Because scripture tells us that the world is dead in sin, right? That Christ is alive in heaven, that he's gathering unto himself the elect of all eternity to be, as scripture words it, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. So as we look forward to this new year, whatever challenges the Lord may bring to us individually or as a congregation, in our workplaces, in our families, uh, as we look to learn and be guided by the session's vision to lead us into the Great Commission, 
I want us to think about what we have to share with the folks that we will meet. Maybe they'll be brand new people we will meet. Maybe they'll be people we've been known uh, for 10 or 20 years or months, whatever it is, the people that God brings upon our paths. What is it we have to give them that is of inestimable value? That which is despised by some, those that are perishing, is to be treasured by others, those who have hope of eternal life. So what do we have to give them? We have grace and truth. Because we have Christ, we can give them Christ. In giving them Christ, we give them grace and truth. So let's inquire a bit into verse 17, the focus of this uh, paragraph in John chapter one. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. May we, after digging in a bit, reflecting on it later as the Lord provides time, may we know what it is and who it is that makes the difference in our lives. Jesus, the one who is full of grace and truth. So, first point, grace. A lot of words could go before that in terms of a little outline that I prepared, two-point outline, but I chose radical grace, which is to say extreme, extraordinary grace. Uh, Several writers uh, that I looked to noted in our text that grace comes first, and we can take that to be purposeful, right? Nothing is by accident for God. It's not truth and grace, it's grace and truth. Uh, Not because grace is more important per se, they're both essential. How can you, you know, put a order on the persons of the Trinity. People do it economically in terms of uh, actions and such, but strictly speaking, there's one Godhead. It's not that one is really more important than the other. So what is it that distinguishes or orders the thoughts here of grace and truth? I would say it's because grace is the more distinguishing mark of Christianity. Certainly truth is unique in Christianity. Other religions make claims to truth, but when they claim truth, they're meaning the same thing by truth, right? They're meaning, you know, factually correct. They actually are wrong because they have the facts wrong, but they're claiming the same thing when they assert truth. But when other religions claim grace, they actually mean something different by it. So grace, properly defined, is unique to true biblical Christianity. So that's the first point, is that lots of religions claim grace, but they mean something different by it. Christianity is unique in its assertions of grace. Solid biblical Christianity means something unique and distinctive, very powerful, transformative, in fact. Maybe it was me taking notes through the various parts of the sermon already, thinking, wow, how many other people mentioned grace? Exactly the same way I'm about to. And I think that's every week here. So grace is unique. In our worship, it's been spoken of many times. It should be lived out through our lives in many ways. And so solid biblical Christianity means something unique and distinctive when we speak of grace. Unique and distinctive from all the other ways that other religions speak of grace. Some people, maybe it's uh, John Piperism, seems like he's the kind of guy that would say it this way, would speak of true biblical grace being scandalous, a different sort of take on what it means to be radical. I mean, if you really want to build an organization, right, there's some businessmen here, some past church planters, I believe, marketeers will tell you that you need to gain people's devotion to your product, right? How do you gain devotion to your product? With a little buy-in. People are invested, they wanna stick with it, and they're less prone to leave. 
in a business, that might be through a subscription service or by having a sign on your house that gives you some commitments or you know, some other way in which people are attached to your product and want to continue with it. In the sense of religion, that might come in the form of ceremonies or rites or privileges that are only granted to members and are bought at a personal cost, right? Once somebody's invested, they put some of themselves or some of their money into something, they're less prone to move on. And that's how cults are built. Do this and this and this and they lead you down that road. You're not gonna leave so quickly because you're invested. Whether it's your pocketbook that's invested or your pride that's invested, your past history that you don't wanna lose that's invested, you get sucked in as it were and they keep you on that path. And then they promise, something they can never give, forgiveness, blessings, and prosperity. But Christianity is different. It doesn't require X and Y and Z and the whole rest of the alphabet of things that you have to earn in order to get the things that might be promised in return. Instead, it gives, right? That's grace, given what we don't earn. God gives us what we don't deserve. Grace is unmerited favor. We have no merit to offer in order to get that which God gives us. So what might be bad business from a worldly perspective is actually the only solution to our spiritual problem. Because as we all know, and as I referred to, the product sold by false religions is a fraud. They can't actually deliver what they promise. They might promise it very persuasively, very smoothly, convincingly, by using similar words even as Christianity does, but ultimately they do not deliver what they promise. It's a fraud. So we begin with grace, or actually God begins with grace in this clause, and we follow his lead and address grace first because grace comes first in the two-part phraseology. It comes first as a foundation for the Christian religion. Uh, Might liken it to If you've ever studied the shorter catechism question on the nature of God, it has a couple of phrases and then they modify all the attributes of God after that. So those modifiers permeate all of the attributes of God. And similarly, grace permeates all of the foundational um, essential elements of the Christian religion. So when we share the good news by God's providence in the coming week, when we're being or coming week, coming year, (laughs) the rest of our lives. When we're being missional, as we were admonished last week, seeking to see people converted by God's grace, uh, to see them discipled in all aspects of the Christian religion, what is it we can hold out to them as unique, the real defining feature of that which we cling to for eternal life? It is grace. They don't have to buy something, they don't have to earn something, they receive something that God gives. Because if it was purchased, it wouldn't be grace. If you work for it, it's not grace. Being grace, by its very nature, it is a gift, free. Uh, Briefly now, I wanna go through just some scriptures that popped into my mind. It wasn't even a little concordant search, but just the Lord popping little phrases, search for them, quote them, and uh, These are things you've heard. I don't offer you anything new. And remember, that's a good thing. If I came up with something new, you all should be worried. So this is a rehearsal of that which we have all embraced by faith. God's grace is seen in the New and Old Testaments, just real briefly. Genesis 6, 8, quote, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Three verses before that, we read that every intent of the thoughts of their hearts was only evil 
continually. So the mass of the human population at that time was utterly depraved, worthy of God's just punishment. And let us not forget that left to himself, Noah would have been lumped in with all of his neighbors. According to human standards, maybe he would have only been medium bad, you know, less bad than others. I was talking with a fellow at lunch last week, and that was my place before I got saved. It was easy to say, well, I'm not as bad as my neighbors in college. I'm not as bad as those people in my work environment, so I guess I'm okay, right? Well, no. <laughs> less bad is not good enough. By grace, God reached out to Noah and to his family and saved them. By grace, the Lord set him apart from others, saving him and his household. Another instance of grace, Esther, uh, Chapter two of that book, verse 17, she, that is Esther, found grace and favor in the sight of, speaking of the king, so he set the royal crown upon her head and made her queen. So the king viewed Esther with grace and favor. Uh, wasn't something she deserved or had earned, uh, was a special regard that the king had for her. And some would say that it was you know, the uh, proper use, the effective use of the beauty treatments that is what distinguished her, or maybe it was her wisdom in uh, heeding the advice. Remember the text says that she followed to a T everything that they advised her to do. But note that even though that advice, even that wisdom to follow the advice, to use those beauty tools was by grace. None of it did she ask for, labor for, or earn for herself. And note also that the king's treatment of Esther is a picture of God's treatment of the church, insofar as the church is God's bride, and he loves her with a love she doesn't deserve. So God gives the tools, which we might refer to theologically as the means of grace, in order to grow in grace, to be more like Christ. Those tools aren't something we earn, right? He gives us tools, he gives us grace to use the tools all to his good end. Next example, Jonah, chapter four, verse two, we read, you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. So that's the prophet Jonah speaking to the Lord God, in which he's complaining about God being gracious, right? He's complaining about something true. God is so gracious that Jonah ends up being displeased by it. He's displeased because he wants the Ninevites punished. He knows they're wicked. He knows what they deserve, which points to the truth that grace is not what you deserve, right? If we all got what we deserved, we wouldn't be getting grace. We'd be getting justice. So the fact that we get something different than justice is the essence of grace. Jonah wanted God to judge them and punish them. He didn't want grace or loving kindness for them. But in so doing, he admitted the essential truth that God is gracious. He is kind to such a degree that he turned the entire nation of Nineveh from their wickedness and forgave their sins. In Jonah's uh, moment there, he was blaming God with being gracious to a fault. The Ninevites deserve judgment. We deserve judgment. It's not God's fault that he was merciful. We deserve the same. So let us embrace grace with thanksgiving. In Numbers 6, a common benediction we hear at the end of most of our sermons here, we read and hear, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. 
So the ironic blessing, rightly still spoken in this church and by many Christians today because it embraces the essence of how God regards his people. Does he scowl at us, frown down at us with condemnation when we make mistakes? Does he look down on us with displeasure and cast us aside after we've run through, you know, okay, you got five free cards. Well, maybe I'll be nice and you get 10. No, God continues to look down at us with mercy. His face shines upon his people. He doesn't turn it away. When it's been turned to us salvifically in Christ, it remains a face of blessing to us. He is gracious to us. Again, he doesn't give us what we deserve According to our feeble works, he gives us what Christ earned by his perfect righteousness. And now, uh, I believe I have two or three quick passages from Acts, or sorry, from the New Testament. First one from Acts 15, verse 11. Through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as the, as, as, sorry, as they. Give you a moment to crunch through your minds. When, when was that spoken? make a uh, Sabbath day game out of this, you know, name that context. The Jerusalem Council, uh, where the apostles were gathering to address how is grace working in the Gentiles? Is it working differently than the Jews of old, or is it working the same? Their ultimate decision was that it's not now and never was the rites and ceremonies of Old Testament religion that made people right with God. Those ceremonies and rites of Old Testament law were pictures of the truths that endure. So circumcision was not required for salvation for the Jews of old, though it was according to the law to picture cleansing and such, it was not required for the Gentiles. So through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, Jews are saved in the same way as Gentiles, which is to say, by grace, through faith. Jews were never saved by the ceremonial rites. We are not saved by the sacraments. It is God's grace that saves us, not the ceremonies. And lastly, for our brief study here of grace, Romans 11, verses five through six. At this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then it is no longer of works, otherwise grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it is no longer grace, otherwise work is no longer work. So grace is fundamentally contrary to work and the merit that comes through work. For grace to be grace, it must be a gift. Okay, so putting that all in this context here, what is it we have to offer ourselves as we counsel ourselves you know, what am I doing walking in this path of Christ, embracing grace? Talking to my neighbor, what is it that answers your situation, whatever situation you're in? It is grace. So other examples could be cited, but that I believe should be enough to remind us, and for those who are needing new instruction for us to learn, that the Christian religion is radical, it is distinctive, it is unique, it is life and world transforming because of its grace claims. All false religions are united in their opposition to grace. That may seem a little crazy. You go talk to a Roman Catholic, they're not gonna say they're opposed to grace. You go talk to uh, you know, a Eastern religion mystic person today at some intelligent university study group, they're not gonna tell you they're opposed to grace insofar as they come up with a definition of grace. But when grace is biblically defined, 
we realize that they are opposed to grace. They don't understand God's grace. And so they are not yet transformed by it. They can't accept the fact that God forgives sinners and that forgiven sinners don't have to do something to earn it. Christ died the horrible death of the cross to pay for my sins, for your sins, for all the sins of all the elect, and that is a stumbling block. Whether it's to Jews or to Gentiles, no works-based religion can fathom it. They just don't get it, which is why it's essential to focus on it, because you might teach them other things. They might think they assent to it, but if they've skipped the grace part, they don't really have any of it. Grace is what sets us apart. So now to truth, second half. Text says, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And I worded it in the outline, you can't see piercing truth. A lot of other words could be placed there, transformative truth, broad truth, true truth, all of those are true. So turning to truth, Uh, grace can't exist by itself. Uh, Truth can't exist by itself. Either separately is not the real thing, right? So I've talked about there's different versions of grace. We need the true type of grace. And similarly here, we need true truth. We don't need man's concept of truth. We don't need some extra biblical definition of truth. We need actual truth. We need a balance as they come together to tell us what God is saying about truth. So whereas, whereas, uh, and also I wanna come back to the point I made about why grace is uh, ahead, as it were, in this clause, is that Grace is uniquely defined in Christian religion and then distinctive from other versions of it. But I did say also that truth, every religion is gonna claim to be true, right? No religious person out there is gonna say, ah, I'm enjoying believing lies. They're not gonna say that. They're gonna think what they hold to is truth. So their definition of truth is basically the same actual facts that are worthy of believing and living your life by. But of course, they're off track as to what those truths are. They've believed wrong truths. Say that again, they've believed wrong truths. Different word for falsehoods. So other religions openly avoid or criticize Christianity's grace claims, and plenty of religions like to talk about truth, but they don't do so falsely as they discount grace, diminish the work of Christ, downplay the essence of faith and all the other important aspects of Christianity. So properly speaking, and again, what sets biblical religion apart from all imposters is truth, right? Truth in God's word, truth as lived out and instructed to us by Jesus Christ. John 17, 17, your word is truth. So God's words, the Bible, preserved for us for generations, is truth. Psalm 31.5, you have redeemed me, O Lord God of truth, right? Very essential to God's nature is truth. While other, all other religions make their assertions about their God's truth, about their prophets' truth, their ceremonies' truth, their special laws and rituals that represent that truth. No, we assert that the Lord God himself is truth. Everything he's told us is truth. His very words are true. Any religious system that contradicts, then, this word, we can distinguish. Right? And I would caution you against thinking that you need to become an expert in you know, Roman Catholic theology in order to refute the Roman Catholic or Jehovah's Witness theology in order to refute the 
Roman Catholic or the, uh, the JW. Really, you need to become better versed in God's truth and then you can distinguish the lies, right? I think it's been spoken of here before. How do counterfeiters get good at recognizing false $100 US notes? Not by studying the thousand different variations in which counterfeiters try to fake it, they become really good at looking at the real ones and then they can distinguish the false. So as we get saturated in and permeated by God's truth, then it is easier for us to distinguish the false. Set side by side, it's kind of easy to spot the others. And uh, whatever the area that God is instructing us on, whether it's you know, the role of the civil magistrate or the proper order of worship or uh, roles within the family, right? These are all areas of truth we can study according to God's word. And when somebody comes at it with a different version, we can say, uh, no, right? Uh, we can read through the ancient creeds and learn about the nature of Christ. And when somebody comes to us with some other, who knows what, type of version, we can say, mm, no, I don't think, according to God's word, according to your version of God's word, your extra prophet's words, but not according to the 66 books of the Bible, preserved for generations by God. So remember that Jesus declared, John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. He's not one of the ways, He's not an optional way. He's not a way that was improved upon by some later prophet or by some later philosopher. He is the way, the truth, and the life. If we fail to understand Jesus, his life and ministry, we completely miss truth and end up with some shadowy imposter that's not close to the real thing. Rather, we are far, far from the genuine article. Uh, Satan is, as one author puts it, a con man, always denying, revising, and spinning the truth, rearranging the price tags, as it were, right? So those are the devices of the enemy that we've properly been focusing on in 2021 for spiritual warfare. So as God's word succinctly says it, Satan is a liar. There is no truth in him. So when we can focus on the truth, we're protected from the lies in whatever form they may come to us. Christ's truth claims, as I referred to before, do touch on every area of life, whether it be civics or medicine or family, our jobs, um, flying airplanes, you know, whatever it is, all areas of life are informed by God's word. All these truth claims are part of his revelation to us, but note they must remain united to grace else they become mere moralism or legalism. So this is why we have that essential unity between grace and truth. Doing good things for the wrong end is not good in the end. Grace and truth must be together. With the truth principles united to grace, they are the course of Christian discipleship. And that is the essence, right, of the Great Commission, to see people coming into the kingdom, to see people growing in the kingdom, to see people growing to be more like Christ. Look in the mirror to see ourselves <laughs> growing to be more like Christ, right? If we're successful in the coming year of having the Great Commission work out its way in our homes, in the life of the man we see in the mirror, that's a success of the Great Commission. Lord willing, though, we'll have opportunities out and around us in this city in order to see grace and truth be active. So to conclude, let us step back and look where we started. 
The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Ponder for a moment the glorious incarnation. I didn't intend for this to be a Christmas sermon, but it fits in the context here. The eternal Son of God took on flesh and walked the earth as a man. That's a profound truth a truth filled with grace that he would condescend to come to us, to be our Emmanuel, to meet us in our weakness, to transform us from the inside out. The Son of, eternal Son of God took on flesh, walked the earth. No one has seen God, but the Son, the glory, his deity, walked among us, declared in grace and truth. So as we go forth in the weeks, months, and years ahead, let us keep his glory ever before us. May we uphold his glory and invite others to behold it similarly as we proclaim grace and truth. Because others may deny it. They'll come up with different versions of these two things, different Christs, different Bibles, all sorts of imposters. Uh, They may confuse it. But ultimately, those whose eyes the Lord is mercifully opening and whose ears he is mercifully unstopping, they'll see and understand. They will embrace. They will respond with gratitude, just as we have. They'll listen and hear. Friends, never forget that Jesus is full of grace and truth. Jesus is who we take to our neighbors, praying they will recognize him and follow him. May we learn from him and grow by him. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are gracious to reveal your truth. In every way we can imagine, you are gracious and truthful. All that we know about you is by grace and according to truth. May we keep these key ideas uh, foremost before us as we go forward in the future. Lord, even today as we enjoy a meal, as we spend time with our families and friends, may we revel in your grace and your truth that came through Jesus Christ. This testimony that came of the prophet John, we are privileged to look back on. May it not be an isolated event in past history, but a living truth that has power for today, for our lives, for all those in our homes, for all those in our neighborhoods. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.